Hi everybody, I'm Josh. And I am Alyssa. And we are back with today's episode of The Podcast Was On Fire. And it wasn't my fault. A read-along pod, a read-along podcast where we dig into the good, the great, and the problematic of the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher. On today's episode, we're going to get started on book four. Book four is Summer Night. Very exciting stuff. We learn a little bit more about some uh, she lore here today. This book was released in 2002. Man, he was really pumping these things out but way back when. <laughs> in the mall and then finally got a rec- uh, book deal. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, his early books, he was really writing real fast. And then they you know, slowly started to spread out as life and fame, fortune, and the things you have to do that come with it. I want to say it was like six or seven years between the last ones. Kim game was 2014 and 2021. So yeah, seven years. Oh, wow. 2020, so six years. Has it really been three years since Peace Talks and Battlegrounds came out? Jeez. <laughs> and the most recent novel was too big, so he split it into two. So it went six years without one, and then it was like three months apart they got released. Damn. Uh, but now we're waiting. Although he, is, he says he's finished with his other s- series that he was writing in between, and he's back grinding out the next Dresden novel. So he's got it all mapped out, so it should be easy peasy, lemon squeezy. All right. How, how you doing today, Liz? I'm doing all right. Had a crazy and wild weekend with a bunch of gauchos in uh, Santa Barbara and uh, am slowly recovering. <laughs> I'm no longer 21. We're 20. I graduated 20. So God, have, yeah, we, but we had a good time. We had a good time. So much freaking fun. The days of late night partying and then morning, morning practice and just grinding through it. Oh God. Yeah, oh, we, yeah, we yeah. did do the, uh, oh, let's go out. And we were home by one. There you go. Yeah. But then, you know, on Saturday, my friend Liz and I, um, we started at brunch at 11, then went to the pool at the hotel and continued drinking. And then we had, like a bunch of grown ass 40 year olds, we rented a party bus and had an 80 themes party bus that took us around Santa Barbara and Isla Vista. Oh, there you go. It was pretty rad. And I had more jello shots than I think I ever have in my entire life on that bus ride. (laughs) Jeez. Yeah. And that's how hangovers happen, kids. <laughs> I didn't have too much of a hangover, but the sugar. Oh, God. I just can't do sugar like I used to. That's what usually gives, it, gives me hangover when I do too much sugar. Yeah. Oh, my, my gosh. It was like my 26th or 27th birthday. Something, it's been a while, but it was back, back, way back. Maybe it was like my 23rd or 24th birthday, something like that. Where it's only a couple of years ago. Yeah, one or two. A, th- a thousand. Where, you know, people buy you drinks. And so I started getting, I was like, ah, J-Mo rocks. So they had to say J-Mo rocks. Jameson on the rocks, but also me. I rock. Yes, of course. And I crushed a billion of them because, again, birthday drinks. And the next day day I was like, fine. It is magic. Of course, being a child and drinking one liquor with no sugar and no mixer. Mm -hmm. That'll help. When I, on my 21st birthday, I was working on a film. I was a, um wardrobe uh, PA and being a set costumer. And uh, we went to the bar that the our um, crafty girl owned. And uh, crafty girl craft services. Sorry, her name is crafty. Oh. We, you call him crafty. And um, 
We started at like nine o'clock. I didn't turn 21 till midnight. <laughs> nice. But people were buying me drinks. We all got freaking wasted. Three of the people that were with us didn't show up to work that morning, but the birthday girl flipping did. You probably should have planned that better and taken the day off. Seriously. Well, but I mean, it was, it was, I was an intern, so it wasn't like I really, anybody would have missed me much. My 21st, there was a, uh, like a on-campus party with the kegs. Oh God. And my, uh, unnamed, unnamed goalkeeper stole one of the taps. (laughs) That was my birthday present. That's spectacular. I had a tap from my birthday, uh, whatever, oxy party in the. What is that Greek Greek amphitheater? What do they call that thing? I don't remember. Oh, the good old days of uh, back in the our, our wild and misspent youth. <laughs> good stuff. Oh, this is more not for the podcast. This is for us. Mm-hmm. There, I found out yesterday that there's a Goonies themed speakeasy in San Clemente. <gasps> Next so, time I'm down there, we have to go. So I can get to SNA in like. 45 minutes. So put it on the list. Oh, that's really cool. Well, there's one at the Fairmont Hotel. It's Tonga Room is what it's called. And it's, um, there's a, Fairmont Hotel is a really fancy hotel in San Francisco. And in the middle of it, there's a big pool. And at the end of the pool, there's the stage where the band plays. Like the lighting is so cool. It's just such a neat place. That's awesome. We, a bunch of us went and did like Christmas in the city where we went to a bunch of different hotels and went to their bars and all the fancy Christmas lights. And then that's where we ended up. The Fairmont Hotel also has a life-size gingerbread house for, for Christmas in their lobby. A life-size gingerbread house? <laughs> Le- yeah, like you can walk through it. That's awesome. And one of the rooms of the restaurant is in the gingerbread house. Like you can like, sit there. It's pretty rad. Um, nice. Yeah. And, and it was a love. I had a lovely espresso martini there. Is that what started your kick? No, we, uh, I'd had espresso martinis before, but a couple of months ago, God, it's been more than a year, actually no, more than a couple of months ago. So last year sometime, I, a bunch of us were in the city. This is before I moved up here. We were going to meet with a bunch of our friends and one of the girls was like oh my god we have to go to this place in castro that has amazing espresso martinis we were making a day of it so like we went to the bar we each ordered an espresso martini and they were amazing like the best espresso martini i'd ever had and so you know us being responsible adults had a total of three each and (laughs) then proceeded on our way to wherever it was we were meeting our friends but, oh, my God, it was so good. And so, like, our group of friends, it kind of became a thing. Like, the whole espresso mm-hmm. martini thing. So when we were at uh, Fairmont, I was like, you know what? I'm going to try. It's a fancy hotel bar. I'm going to try an espresso martini. And it was a very nice espresso martini. But, yeah. And then I started making them, and it became a thing. Oh, goodness gracious. So, yeah. So our last book, Grave Peril, kind of ended on a downer. Uh, with- we bit. A little bit. With Susan Rodriguez is in between worlds. She's a half-turned, Harry uses the term infected, which I like, mm-hmm. by the Red Court. And she has the hunger. And when she gives in to the hunger and kills and devours someone, she will turn fully into a Red Court vampire. Harry asked her to marry him. And she said, nah, 
because she can't control all the stuffs going on. It's too much, which is fair. Um, chewing out your fiance's neck is generally frowned upon. Basically. And yeah, Harry's in a dark spot trying to solve the issue and we, he also at the tail end of that novel he started a war with the red court of vampires as you do i mean you know you know sometimes you gotta start wars it's uh-huh. let he who ha- who hath who, he who hasn't started a war with vampires cast the first stone <laughs> um he is so the white council of wizards and the red court of vampires are in an open war there's been some battling all over Europe. Harry's had a couple of us dodged a couple of assassination attempts. And that kind of catches us up to where we're at. It coming into summer night. Yes. Knigget. What'd you say? Summer Knigget. <laughs> Sorry. The, as every, every time like I see that word, I, I don't know why, maybe because I'm a ridiculous human. I listen to the book and then I read it and then I listen to it and I'm reading it. And I just like, all right, summer can I get? <laughs> and, the, and the word is not dis, is not said in the first five chapters that we read, but still, it's right there up in the corner of my Kindle. Summer, <laughs> summer can I get? We we are the ones doing a book podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, and I have three degrees all dealing with writing and the English language. So yeah, totally. Oh goodness gracious, can I get? All right. Um, anything else you want to catch us up on? Add in there. My voice is absolute shit because of my crazy weekend, so fair warning. <laughs> fair enough. I did not have any games this weekend, so my voice is pristine. Woohoo! Um, whatever that's worth. Um, we did have some microphone issues last time, obviously, because we were in the same room, but we figured that was worth it. We are back to... It was so much fun. ...hundreds of miles away with uh, Lissy back in NorCal, unfortunately. I think it's 533 miles, I think is what it works out to be. Gross. Too many miles. I'll tell you what. So, and, and, and no offense, I would not walk 500 miles. I would walk 500. I'm glad you got that. <laughs> Easy. You got to wake up pretty early in the afternoon to sneak one past me. <laughs> All righty. So chapter one, I like how it starts off. Uh, he does in a lot of the Novels kind of gives us an idea where we're at, right? With full moon, it was... I never used to pay attention to the phases of the moon or the full moon or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. This one, it rained toads the day the White Council came to town. (laughs) That is pretty awesome, though. It's a good... This is the kind of book we're dealing with here. It's an uh uh-oh kind of thing. If that's how we're starting. Yeah, it gets worse from here. Exactly. It does. And that's the thing where, you know, there are two things that we know things are going to get worse. When Harry has some random shit. So this is what's going on. And it's very odd and very random. And things are just going to get worse from there. And when he says, I didn't think it could get any worse. Those are the times we know it's, it's, it's going to get worse. Exactly. Or when he starts, uh, yeah, anytime he starts talking shit. Yeah. I love it when he talks shit, though, in the middle of a battle. <laughs> it is very, very good. And that it's, doesn't go away. He is, that is I, Harry to the core. I am so glad. I want that forever and ever. I love that he mentions that the park that he's at where it's raining toads is deserted except for a Chekhov's old lady with a shopping cart. Oh my God. As soon as I saw, I literally wrote old lady with a shopping cart is totally not. Well, in back-to-back sentences, he says, even in the heat. And then she's wearing a long coat. Yeah. So he said his sweats and t-shirt were too hot for this weather. And she's got a long coat. It Mm -hmm. it did jump out at me. Obviously I knew it was going to happen, but it jumped out at me reading it again here. 
Billy Borden is back in action here, which is great. We missed the alphas over the last uh, novel. That was and very alliterative, by the way. Billy Borden back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm a poet. We learn a little bit more about what the alphas have been doing. They are patrolling the neighborhood and basically just going out and keeping things safe, which is pretty cool. Harry doesn't have to cover all of Chicago by himself. He's got some help. And Billy is now a jacked, strong man, as opposed to the kind of the chubby kid he was that we saw in Full Moon. And uh, clearly they were meant to meet here. I would imagine Billy called him up and said, hey, it's raining toads. Come on down. And Harry tells him to pick a couple up and put them in a bag because they want to make sure they're real. And if they are real, it's really bad. If they're not real, apparently it's just a she doing some shenanigans, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. Um, One of the things I really like about the, this chapter here is they talk about where, what the normie story for the toads is, Uh which is there's some tornado in Louisiana and they're, throwing the toads up in the air and they're slopping down. Yeah. I would like to think that that's actually what, what happened as in yeah. it's because of summer. Sorry. It's because of summer and winter, but there has to be a way for the toads to get here. You can't a mechanism. Just... Exactly. So it probably is that. <laughs> Which yeah, that is kind of spectacular. And I do love that. And I'm fully on board with it. When I, every time I read this, I think that Harry's like making fun of people for saying that, but the, they're real toads. Real toads don't just, Mm-hmm. up here in the sky uh, so i just thought that was kind of funny they're uh, somehow there for some reason exactly so we know that the real cause is the summer winter that's what issue. we're assuming yeah so some sort of fairy nonsense is the real re- reason but the toads still have to get there somehow uh, because they're not made of ectoplasm but uh i just like that that is pretty great though we learn that it's been a few months and harry is not well. He's basically looks like shit. He doesn't bathe. He doesn't groom. He just sits in his basement trying to figure out how to cure a half red court vampire. And there's a line here where Billy well, Billy invites him over to play some role playing games with the crew. And I love that. I also like the the uh, sounds too much like work. <laughs> yes, that makes it even better. Very good stuff there. And um, they mentioned that they went to a Bears game. Well, football game. So it's either Bears or the Illini, I guess. Who knows? But uh, I just like the idea of werewolf football fans. Yes. Just little puppies sitting there watching in their werewolf form uh, so they can get in for free somehow. Uh, (laughs) That was the visual I got. I like that even better. There's a little back and forth about Susan, which Harry tells him to drop it. But, uh, you know, Billy knows more than he probably should. He knows that there's a war. He knows about the White Council. Mm -hmm. He knows about the vampires. It's a great exchange where Harry does this from time to time where he says, what White Council? Mm -hmm. What war? Very clearly the softest attempt at trying to downplay it because Billy obviously knows this stuff, which is good. Again, Harry's losing it. He's, He's going to get evicted from his office if he doesn't pay the rent. Uh, Billy's been going to his office to kind of clean up and check the mail and stuff, which Harry gets mad at because Harry I needs love that, though. to suffer alone. Yeah, no, I like Billy. I really like that. Friends make it easier. And uh, mm. 
Harry's mad at Billy because it's my business, not yours. And he says, I don't need you. Naturally, the hit went down right then. <laughs> There's a uh, couple non-professional <laughs> hitmen, as well as that Chekhov's old lady is not an old lady. She's a ghoul. And it's cool that we get a little bit of ghoul lore in here. This is the first appearance of a ghoul. This is a creature, not this particular creature necessarily, but this is a race, I guess, of beings. Yeah, that we'll see moving forward. Um, Actually, the LaChase family or clan or whatever that he mentioned Mm -hmm. is um, comes back many, many books later. But just interesting, cool through lines and kind of foreshadowing breadcrumbs. It's a cool little. I mean, it's a little fight. There's you know not a ton of gunplay in Dresden like this, where it's like a, basically a shootout, which mm-hmm. is kind of interesting. Um, you know, we saw it obviously at Bianca's, but that was all right in front of him, real quick. This is like in public, and so he you know, tries to angle his shield up so there's no bullets bouncing off um, on any innocent bystanders. One of and- my favorite thing with that, though. Sorry, sorry to cut no, you no, off. No, go for but it. One of my favorite things about when he d- d- uh, refle- deflects the bullets upwards, and he's like. I don't know where they're going. I hope they don't hit a, a car that drives by. That is never something that is um, mentioned in most literature and most movies where people shoot into the air, but what goes up must come down. So I really liked that he mentioned that. Yeah, and again, it's just his character. He's always always thinking about how he can make things better for other people and putting other people before himself, which is why we love him as a character. Yeah. Fact. And there's a little tussle with the the ghoul, she has a shotgun. Uh, I did, I'd never heard of a 10-gauge shotgun before this, and I looked it up a little bit. It was, uh, it's a, the biggest gun you can own in California, apparently. <laughs> like really strict uh, laws about like three rounds maximum, mm-hmm. but they're usually used in hunting fowl. So there you go. And Doc Holliday had one in uh, Tombstone. <laughs> well, and okay, from the after it goes pew-pew point of view, you can put different kind of, of shot in them. Mm-hmm. And they make a very big hole. All right. That's, I mean, kind of cool and kind of awful, awful. at the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it happens to be both of those. They make a big hole. It's very interesting. It's very interesting. And birdshot can actually get embedded into bone. Jesus. Yep. It mentions uh, slug rounds, which I guess are, you know, so they don't spread as much. Just reminded me of mm-hmm. slug throwers are... Yep. The gun equivalent, the guns that we use in the Star Wars universe, <laughs> they have guns. They call them slug throwers. Just made me think of that. Nice. I do have a question. He takes the shotgun and he fires the shotgun. He mentions a really big recoil. Mm-hmm. How is he doing that while holding a frog? Well, he says he almost squished the frog. Yeah, but how do you not squish the frog? Because you're going to be holding the gun but pretty if tight. He's got, but he puts, you push it up against your shoulder. So your second hand isn't holding as much. All right. It's just got the trigger. I don't think I've ever shot. I've never shot a shotgun before. So there you go. I've shot. I've never shot a shotgun. When I did my field school in Virginia, I did shoot a rifle at beer bottles with a bunch of hillbillies. That was fun. Yeah, I think I've shot a rifle before. Like, yeah, they made fun of me because I was from California until I hit all the beer bottles on my first try. (laughs) At a girl. Uh huh. I was like, oh, come on, hillbillies. Smart and terrifying. (laughs) I'm a good time. What can I say? Oh, goodness. I, I was interesting here how Harry specifically aims and shoots her in the stomach. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's important in any way or just I se- center was, of mass. Well, remember we were going with the chakra when we dealt with Krabos, and that's yeah. the 
the where he went he aimed for Harry when he was eating him in the dream. And that's one of the I can't remember what chakra that is. But we talked about that. I remember that was what came back to me with this. Interesting. Um, I, don't think, the, I don't know how much magic the ghoul was doing, but it did have to transform from the ghoul, the human ish shape into the ghoul shape. So maybe that interesting. Yeah, good catch. Oh, good. So even though he blasted the ghoul in the stomach with a slug round from a 10 gauge, she's probably not dead, he says. They're like cockroaches. They recover from just about anything. Uh, the, 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 Chase, the La Chase clan is working with the Red Court because Harry's given them headaches a few times. Love him. Well, Harry, why do they hate you? Well, I met him, basically. <laughs> <laughs> That's spectacular. Harry realizes that the frog in his hand pooped in his hand, so that means they're real live toads, which is not ideal. And so he starts emptying out the bag that they had been collecting to try to confirm what kind of toads they were. Harry, obviously because he's just had his life saved by Billy, agrees to go to the meeting with Miss Somerset. Billy keeps the smile from his mouth, but not from his eyes. Again, just a friend happy to hopefully nudge him back towards reality. Yeah. Harry says, I'm an ass sometimes. And Billy laughs, sometimes <laughs> you're human like the rest of us. Which feels kind of like, almost like a Michael line. I guess, you know, the, Billy's obviously playing that kind of the yin to his yang situation here. That role, basically. Beetle start heading out, and as they get ready, he wants to get cleaned up a little bit before the meeting, and it starts really, like, basically pouring toads. It's hailing toads. They're smashing down quickly, which is great, and one of them, like, they're smashing and exploding in, you know, blood and streaks of scarlet across the cracked glass as one of them landed on his, his windshield. Billy says, good lord! <laughs> yeah, it never rains. It pours. <laughs> So ridiculous. So ridiculous. Okay. So we got a lot. We got a lot going on. <laughs> the white council is going to come yell at Harry. The vampires had evidently up the stakes, but I'm uh, striking at him more openly. And now toad hail explosions on his windshield. So all in all, not a great I mean, start. I mean, it's a typical day in Chicago, right? It really is. <laughs> I mean, and now I need to ask, so people who live in Chicago, this is this is typical, right? I mean. <laughs> uh, okay. Chicago is one of our most downloaded places from, which? Which I love. I was just looking at that, actually. And Chicago is one of our top cities. Um, uh, they've moved down to one, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, wow. New York is number one. Number two is Lancaster? Like California? Y'all are in the middle of nowhere. That's fantastic. I'm not judging. I know exactly where Lancaster is. I've driven through it many times. Then Atlanta, Denver, St. Louis, then Chicago. And here's another one that I have no idea where it is. Reisterstown. I think that's in Maryland. I mean, hey, and Bowie. I mean, it's pretty exciting. I love that it breaks it down into towns. I'm a nerd for, for uh, demographics data. and statistics and data. Just That's your data in general. And like, it's so great. So we love that everybody likes that everybody we people all over the place. It's really cool. We love that. I love the diversity of it all. Um, all right. Sorry. Well, that, so that that's the last 30 days. All time. Chicago does still nudge oh. out Lancaster. Oh, OK. Chicago nudges out Lancaster. I love that. That's a thing. <laughs> that Chicago and Lancaster are neck and neck. Uh, oh, you're catch right. Him, Lancaster, catch them. <laughs> invite your friends okay we died we digress 
So he drops Billy off at his apartment. And he says he doesn't think the ghoul would be filing a police report. But I wiped down the shotgun anyway. Like Billy that. wrapped right. Billy wrapped it in a towel I had in the back seat of the Beetle and took it with him, promising to dispose of the weapon. This is a little bit like Baltimore, the wire shit. Okay, <laughs> moving on. Let's see. So uh, his girlfriend Georgia uh, eyes Harry and gives him kind of a, sh- a sharp look with her nostrils flared before she heads into the house. She glanced at the at the car, her expression worried, and nodded to me. I waved back, trying to look friendly. From George's expression, I hadn't managed better than Surly. So he pulls away so nobody can socialize with him. I mean, fair. And at some point, he pulls over and kind of gives himself a quick glance in his mirror. As we know, Harry doesn't have mirrors except for that mirror that wasn't a mirror in the last book in his, in his apartment. Yeah, I, was, I was thinking about that mirror also. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the mirror that wasn't a mirror. And he says, I hadn't glanced at a mirror in weeks. I look like a train wreck. This was another line I had to point out because in the audiobook, he says, I looked like a wrecked train. And I thought that was so weird. So, of course, I came to my ebook and it says, I looked like a train wreck. It's just an interesting. Yeah, I have train wreck. James Marsters isn't perfect. He reads things awkwardly. It was probably sun was about to come up. He had to he had to finish quick. (laughs) He was a spell slinger. It was just a small little detail. I noticed weird things. Um, So I looked like a train wreck. So more so than usual. I mean, my features are usually kind of long, lean, all sharp angles. I've got almost black hair to go with the dark eyes. Now I had gray and purplish circles under them. Deep ones. The lines of my face, where they weren't covered by several months of untrimmed beard, looked as sharp as the edges of a business card. Which is a weird thing to say sharp as. Like, now, that's are, your sharp as? Business, would you as sharp as a knife? Are business cards particularly sharp? I don't think so. I thought that was weird. Um, just a weird comparison. This part I love, just because hair it gives you such a great visual. And it really just tells you about how dopey this whole situation is. Not like funny dopey necessarily, but it's still pretty funny. My hair had grown out long and shaggy, not in that sexy young rock star kind of way, but in that time to take Rover to the groomer kind of way. It didn't even have the advantage (laughs) of being symmetrical, since a big chunk had been burned short in one spot when a small incendiary had been smuggled to me in the pizza delivery box back when I could still afford to order pizza. My skin was pale, pasty even. I looked like death warmed over, provided someone had made death run the Boston Marathon. I looked tired, burned out, used, used up. So Harry is kind of realizing that, you know, maybe he does need help. He says, I hate it when I'm wrong, but it looked like maybe Billy and the werewolves, stars and stones, they sounded like a bad rock band, (laughs) had a point. I tried to think of the last time I'd gotten a haircut. A shave. I'd had a shower last week, hadn't I? I mopped up my face with my shaking hands. The days and nights had been blurring lately. I spent my time in the lab under my apartment, researching 24-7. The lab was in the sub-basement, all damp stone and no windows. Circadian rhythms. Bah! I'd pretty much dispensed with day and night. There was too much to think about to pay attention to such trivial details. Then he goes into a little bit of a story about how he got to where he is and what happened to Susan. And he says, and the monsters got her. Billy had been right about that, too. The vampires, the Red Court, had changed her. Or maybe it could be more accurate to say that they infected her. Though she was still human, technically. She'd been given their macabre thirst. I love that. 
Like, what an amazing description of that, the macabre thirst. Yeah, it's a really good turn of phrase. It really is. So we learn that she is still writing for the Arcane, and so he reads her syndicated column, and he knew that she was alive, though she had asked him not to follow her, and he had not. And he said he wouldn't until he found a cure. And he says, there had to be something I could do. Had to be. There had to be. And he breaks down a little bit and he's, you know, should have told you you loved her before it was too late. Right, Harry? I tried not to cry. I willed myself not to with all of my years of training and experience and self-discipline. It would accomplish nothing. It wouldn't put me anywhere closer to finding a cure for Susan. I was so damn tired. And then he cries. And he says, it occurred to me that it was stupid to be sitting there in the street for more vampire thugs to come find me. Plain as day. I was tired and dirty and hungry. But I didn't have the cash to get anything to eat. And by the sun, I didn't have time to go back to the apartment for soup. Not if I was to keep my appointment with Miss Somerset. So Harry heads off to his appointment with Miss Somerset. He is already late. And he rushes into his apartment and the security guy gives him a nasty look because he looks like shit. And we've got a little throwback to Stormfront. I walked past the elevator on my way to the stairs. There was a sign on it that said it was under repair. The elevator hadn't ever been quite the same since a giant scorpion had torn into one of the cars and someone had thrown the elevator up to the top of its chute with a torrent of wind in order to smash the big bug against the roof. The resulting fall set the car plummeting all the way to the ground floor and wreaked havoc with the building in general, raising everyone's rents. (laughs) Or that's what I heard anyway. Don't look at me like that. It could have been someone else. (laughs) It isn't always me when something goes catastrophically wrong anyway. Same, bro. Same. (laughs) I love it. Anyway, so he heads up the stairs and as he reaches for the doorknob, he feels a little spark popping against his skin with a sharp little snap of discomfort. And he thinks, you know, even with the AC on, it's not that cold and dry. And so he focuses on his bracelet, his, his shield bracelet, you know, ready. He's ready. And he walks in, and his apartment is in a bit of disarray. And he says, it smells, the stink of long-burnt coffee. I must have left it on. Oops. Someone had evidently tried to straighten things up. My mail sat neatly stacked in three different piles. Both metal trash cans were suspiciously empty. Billy and company then. I just think that's cute. (laughs) Um, And in the ruins of his office sits a woman. And he describes her as a woman with the kind of beauty that makes men murder friends and start wars. Which is a great description. And is, I instantly thought of Helen of Troy. Because she did that. Oh yeah, um, I think that's for sure the reference. That's the reference. Because she she's a white blonde. And Helen was allegedly blonde, I believe. Or at least in every... Every, you know, movie or whatever. Every version of it, she's a blonde. So... That's after we get the description of her, and we get that, a very that's probably a Hollywood. <laughs> oh, very likely. I don't think understanding she was actually of blonde could think she was Greek, yeah, or Roman. Uh, okay, so she had white hair, not white blonde, not platinum, white as snow, white as the finest marble, bound up like a captured cloud to bear the lines of her slender throat. I don't know how her skin managed to look pale beside that hair, but it did. Her lips were the color of frozen mulberries, almost shocking in a smooth and lovely face. 
and her oblique eyes were a deep green that tinted to blue when she tilted her head and looked over at me. She wasn't old, wasn't young, wasn't anything but stunning. So she ain't right. He then goes on to describe her body in a very kind of creepy way. Um, and uh, one thing was certain. No woman like that would have had any less than money. Lots of money. Money I could use to pay the rent, buy groceries, even maybe splurge a little and get a, real, a wheelbarrow to help with cleaning my apartment. <laughs> I only hesitated for a heartbeat, wondering if it was proper for a full-fledged Wizard of the White Council to be that interested in cash. I made up my mind fast. Phenomenal cosmic powers be damned. I have a lease. So Phenomenal Cosmic Powers. Did this movie come out after Aladdin? Yeah, it was 2002. There we go. That's what I was, because as soon as I heard him say that, I said, let me space. Oh, yeah. 100%. Don't sue us, Disney. Um, Okay, so she's got a cultured accent. that he Her English had an accent I couldn't place. She's very cultured. And she says, you are late. And... She said, your assistant informed me when to arrive. I love that she calls Billy his assistant. I don't <laughs> like to be kept waiting, so I let myself in. I almost wish I hadn't. His office is a bit of a trash heap right now. And he's like, I know this looks, very, uh, this looks pretty unprofessional. Quite correct. That, though, quite. Okay, this is such a pedantic bullshit thing, but it bothered me. Okay, so when an American says quite, it means very much. When an Englishman says quite, it means very little. So I thought, I, it's one of those words that when I was in grad school, it was, it was, I would say quite, and it would have a different meaning for people. But so, quite correct. Is she European? Does she mean very little correct? Or very much correct? I think specifically correct. Yeah, very but- correct. But that's, it was just one of those words. I know it sounds super pedantic, just like the highways. You know, that's, these, these are the bits and things you come to this podcast for. Bullshit history and bullshit random facts. Also, just about. Like, he just about did it. In, yeah. in, in England, certainly has a different. Yeah. It's, it, but it was just, it was an interesting thing. And I actually was thinking about that when I listened to this. And then I came across a meme about it. Um, where it was a Tumblr post where English people were like, oh my God, I did not know that. And then they referenced American songs. They're like, yeah. That's funny. Because I use that word a lot. And quite, I learned. Quite, quite a lot. Quite. Quite. And uh, it's funny. I was explained, that's not, doesn't mean the same thing. There are certain things in American, in Americanisms that do not mean the same in Britishisms. All right, moving on. Sorry, got distracted. All right, so she sits down. And they have this weird little roundabout discussion that she's trying to make sure he's worth it. He's saying, you know, not sure if she's worth it. And Harry says, wait, please, at least let me hear you out. If it turns out that I think I can help you. But that isn't the question, is it? The question is whether or not I think you can help me. And he, she asks him to soul gaze. And he's like, whoa, I don't think that's a good idea. But why not? It won't take very long. That's not really an issue. Miss <laughs> Somerset, I think you may have mis- 
Miss Somerset, I think you may have a mistake in your estimations. She did not like being told that. And <laughs> I love this sequence. I'm going to read a lot right now. I'm so sorry, but I love this whole scene. Yeah, I've had a pretty rough time of things lately. You can't possibly know how little that matters to me. I drew out a pen, took off the lid, and set it down beside the pad. Uh-huh. Then you come in here. Rich, gorgeous. Kind of too good to be true. And, she inquired. Too good to be true, I repeated. I drew the forty-four caliber revolver from the desk drawer, leveled it at her, and thumped back the hammer. Call me crazy, but lately I've been thinking that if something's too good to be true, then it probably isn't. Put your hands on the desk, please. Her eyebrows arched. Those gorgeous eyes widened enough to show the whites all the way around them. She moved her hands, swallowing as she did, and laid her palms on the desk. What do you think you are doing? She demanded. I'm testing a theory, he said. I, I kept the gun and my eyes on her and opened another drawer. See, lately I've been getting some nasty visitors. So it's kind of made me do some thinking about what kind of trouble to expect. And I think I've got you pegged. I don't know what you're talking about, Mr. Dresden, but I am certain. Save it. I rummaged in a drawer and found what I needed. A moment later, I lifted a plain old nail of simple metal out of the drawer and put it on the desk. And this is when I said out loud as I'm walking down the street, oh my God, it's iron. <laughs> old iron. And so he puts the nail on the table and flicks it her way. She doesn't move her hands until a split second before the nail touched her. But then she did. A blur of motion that took her two long strides back from my desk and knocked over the chair she'd been sitting on. The nail rolled off the edge of the desk and fell to the floor. Iron, I said. Cold iron. Fairies don't like it. The expression drained from her face. One moment there had been arrogant conceit, haughty superiority, blithe confidence. But that had simply vanished, leaving her features cold and lovely and remote and empty of all emotion, of anything recognizably human. So she says she thinks she's clever and that she, he's not too distracted to think just what she needed. And he says, I don't want any trouble. Just go. And we can both pretend nothing happened. But it has. You have seen through this veil. Proven your worth. How did you do it? Static on the doorknob, I said. It should have been locked. You shouldn't have been able to get in here, so you must have gone through it. And you danced around my questions rather than simply answering them. Go on. You don't have a purse. Not many women go out in a $3,000 suit and no purse. Yes, you'll do perfectly, Mr. Dresden. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I want nothing to do with, to do with, with fairies. She says, I don't like being called that. He says, you'll get over it. And then we learn what happened. Leah, his fairy godmother, sold what he owes to this woman. His mortgage. Huh? His mortgage. Based on the mortgage of his soul. And he doesn't believe her. So he controls him to stab a letter opener into the palm of his hand. The woman, the fairy, reached down and took my fingers away from the letter opener. She withdrew it in a sharp, decisive gesture and laid it flat on the desk, like blood gleaming all over it. Wizard, you know as well as I. Were you not bound to me, I would have no such power over you. And that was his oh shit moment. And he says, who are you? Hmm? Rut row. Mm -hmm. He says, who are you? She says, I have many names. But you may call me Mab, queen of air and darkness, of the, monarch of the winter court of the city. The she. 
the she, uh, sorry, out the winter court of the she. Uh, my first thought was Shakespeare. Uh, oh, then I see, I ha- see Queen Mab hath seen you or has been with you. Um, where Mercutio's, you know, Mercutio's whole amazing, fantastic speech. Um, but that was my first thought was Queen Mab. Ah, Queen Mab hath been with you. So it, it basically her power is in the dark and sleep, which air and darkness, that totally makes sense. Oh, it's definitely the same character. Yeah, no, it totally is. But I was just trying to like think about the who she was and uh, get a little bit of information. But it's all fantastic because of uh, how it delivers the fancies of sleeping men, which makes sense with everything. And I was so excited. I was like, wait, I know who Queen Mab is. Um, but I also, the other thing is Mab comes from child or son, which is interesting because she does not seem like anybody's child or son. And also from Middle English as Mabily, which is lovable, which she is not fucking lovable. <laughs> but then... Mab was a nickname for a low-class woman or prostitute or possibly a hag-like witch, which I thought, sorry, that was just so exciting. I thought that was a great, like, random bit of word shit. I love words, in case you guys couldn't tell. So I thought that was great. I, of course, had to look up Queen Mab because, you know. That's- She's also an antagonist in a lot of Merlin's stories. Which makes sense. But, I mean, she's the, she's a powerful fairy who, she dances in men's streams and... Oh, she's also in uh, in Sense and Sensibility. The horse Willoughby gifts to Marianne is named Queen Mab. When she declines his gift, he tells her, when you leave Barton to form your own establishment in a more lasting home, Queen Mab will, will receive you. Which is a whole double meaning there. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that's so cool. I'm just looking at the in other literature. I just recognized it from... Mercutio! Exactly, Mercutio's. Because, you know. Oh, and Dresden Files is mentioned here. Is an important reoccurring character with oh, mysterious stop reading, stop reading, stop reading, stop reading, okay. stop reading. Stop reading, stop reading. Rolled, scrolled, scrolled past it. That's cool, though. Okay, so there we go. But yeah, as, as I, I love Shakespeare, I'm a total Shakespeare nerd. That was something that really jumped out to me, the fact that it's, it's Queen Mab. Like, you don't want to fuck around with Queen Mab? Well, you can see how he immediately reacts when she tells him who she is. Yeah. He's like, oh, god damn it. <laughs> yep, it's a son of a bitch moment. You thought it was bad when his godmother owned his debt. Yeah, but yeah, so that's the uh, awesomeness there in chapter two. I like, we've seen this him do this before, but the repetition, he, he did it earlier with the, the had to be, there had to be as well, but a fairy queen, a fairy queen was standing in my office. I was looking at a fairy queen talking to a fairy queen, and she had me by the short hairs. <laughs> There's a good exchange here where, She's, you know, she's excited that he's wise enough to be afraid. And uh, she, says, she says, how does it feel to know what you know? He says, sort of like Tokyo when Godzilla comes up on the beach. I love that. So he, he gives us an idea of her power level here as well. Short of calling up some hoary old god or squaring off against the White Council itself, I wasn't likely to run into anything else with as much raw power as Mab. I could have thrown a magical sucker punch at her, could have tried to take her out, but even if we'd been on even footing, I doubt I would have ruffled her hair. Mm-hmm. And they weren't on even footing because she has the bond on him. So he's basically 
being bullied into this situation here, which he hates, and he says that Mab may as well have been demanding his lunch money, which I like. So he basically says no. He tries to blow her off and tell her to get the hell out of his office, and he's not going to do anything for her right now. You know, basically, Harry overreacting and getting fussy when someone tries to be a bully, which I have no problem with. There was a guy being a bully at a poker game a couple weeks ago, and I uh, just a dick to everybody, and so I started returning the favor. <laughs> <laughs> it turned into, it blew up, it was a whole to-do. But it was fun. But yeah, don't be a bully. Don't be a dick. So he tells her he's not going to be her emissary. Do whatever you're going to do. Get out of my office. There's a line with, it doesn't really fit in this scenario, but it's a good threat where she says you may serve wizard or you may be served as a meal <laughs> like yeah. Harry's overly sp- like yeah we get it we, we got it we got it <laughs> just explaining d- dissecting the frog there but she gives him an opportunity to be free of this bond by performing three tasks for her and she makes mm-hmm. it clear that it's any three tasks uh you know she says you i can get you the salt three times and that would be it and she says yeah any three tasks and you decide which tasks so harry has an opportunity to finally be free of the she issues that have been hanging over his head pretty much since birth as he has a godmother who and so this is an opportunity he can't well you're cutting cutting in and out dude sorry how far back should i go uh because i heard after birth because she's a godmother and then okay so he he's, has an opportunity to be finally free of all this fairy nonsense. So he can't scoff at it. He has to listen and get, you know, try to understand. She throws a, a manila envelope on the table and says, there's details of the man's death. I wish you to vindicate me of it by discovering the identity of his killer and returning what was stolen from him. And he opens it up and it's a, an article from the, the Chicago Tribune headlined, Local Artist Dies in Midnight Accident. And it's Ronald Rule. So I've heard of him. He has a studio in Bucktown, I think. Ronald Rule are the two R's in J.R.R. Tolkien, by the way. Mm-hmm. Which Harry references Tolkien in universe. So the fact that he doesn't mention that it's the same name is obviously... Yeah, Again, it's just kind of a kayfabe, kayfabe, kayfabe kind of thing. Um, it's obviously meant to be a, a nod to, to the audience, but in universe, it's not. So maybe J.R.R. Tolkien in this universe has different names. Middle names. But, but uh, that's just a kind of a cool nod there. <laughs> Mab says he's hailed as a visionary of the American artistic culture, though I assume they use the term lightly. Hmm. <laughs> I love that. Clearly, she hasn't listened to WAP enough. The police called it an accident, but Mab says it was not. And, you know, obviously the police aren't after her, but there are powers of judgment other than mortal law. So Harry's job, if he accepts, is to solve the crime, which is kind of like what he does. So it could be right in his wheelhouse, right? And those would get him one third of the way to freedom from the she. So he says he'll think about it, and she says... You will accept this request. And he said, I said, I'll think about it. She makes him walk her to the door to be polite. And uh, as he's walking her out, Mab grabs his hand. And vicious cold shot up through the injury like a frozen scalpel. Just, and he says, hey, we had a deal. And she said, I agreed not to punish you for refusing me. 
I agreed not to punish or harass you by proxy. I did that just for spite. <laughs> She's going to be fun. She is. Harry's learning very quickly not to be a dick to her, I hope. And uh, you know, he, he says, you will take, she starts calling him emissary, which I like, just saying that you're, you're doing this. And uh, she says, you'll meet your counterpart, which would be Winter's emissary. Sorry, her, your counterpart. <clears throat> she tells him to expect to meet his counterpart, which would be the Summer emissary. Obviously, Summer and Winter are the two sides of this coin here. Mm-hmm. Says, I've got plans. I haven't taken the case. And she goes into this kind of sounds like an Aesop's fable kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Tale of the fox and the scorpion. I believe it actually is an Aesop fable. Is it really? I'm going to look it up. Because I've, I've read this in a different media as well. Nope. It's the earliest, no, earliest known okay. appearance is 1933. Uh, it's, Russia, it's a Russian fable. Yeah. So it's sometimes attributed to Aesop. Uh, the, the, a likely precursor to this fable is a Persian fable of the scorpion and the turtle. Hmm. Interesting. So. It says Aesop has some similar ones. Gotcha. But they don't know if this one is attributed. This one is sometimes attributed to him, but it doesn't so sound So it seems right. more it's, it's Russian. It sounds Russian. <laughs> it, it does sound Russian. Do they have scorpions up there, though? I don't know. They must, clearly. They must. Um, I mean, scorpions in the desert. And so, you know, they constantly like to take things over, so. It is a good, uh, it is a good little fable about basically you can't escape your nature where there's a, a scorpion asks a fox to ferry him over across the, the river. And the fox is like, well, you're going to sting me. The scorpion's like, well, if I do that, we'll both die. So the fox is like, all right, hop on. And he's swimming, but halfway over, the scorpion stings him. He's like, fool, you've doomed us both. Why? I'm a scorpion. It is, my, na- it is my nature. <laughs> she says, you will accept this case, wizard. It's what you are. It is your nature. So even though he's going to drown, he's probably going to take the case. I love that uh, she sums it up there again, kind of like she did with her earlier reference. Yeah, he... I- hate this one as far as i mean it's a little yikesy obviously but it's not that bad mm-hmm. because you know she's on her way out the door and he says maybe, maybe i'm shut my lab too long but spencer never mentions that the fairy queen has a great ass so i notice these things so sue me goodness gracious it's edmund spencer the reference there is an english poet best known for the fairy queen an epic poem and fantastical allegory celebrating the tudor, Di- tudor dynasty and elizabeth the first Often considered one of the greatest poets in the English language. By who? By whom? All right. And that brings us up to numero quattro. Dresden is dealing with some fear. I leaned against my door with my eyes closed, trying to think. I was scared. Not in that half-pleasant, adrenaline-charged way, but quietly scared. Wait on the results of medical tests, scared. It's a rational sort of fear that puts you in a lawn chair down in front of your thoughts and brings a cooler of drinks along with it. It was working. I was working for the queen of wicked fairies. Well, queen of winter of the unseelie fairies at any rate. The unseelie weren't universally vicious and evil any more than the seelie, the summer fae. We're all, uh, sorry, the summer fae. We're all kind and wise. You start, you, again, you're, yeah. the microphone's noises. Start with the I was working. Really? Oh. I was working for the queen of wicked fairies. Well, 
Queen of Winter, the Unseelie fairies at any rate. The Unseelie weren't universally vicious and evil any more than the Seelie, the Summer Fae, were all wise and kind. They were much like the season for which they had been named, cold, beautiful, pitiless, and entirely without remorse. Only a fool would willingly associate with them. Not that Mab had given me much of a choice, but technically speaking, there had been one. So he's working for Mab. He is terrified at the idea of it. And he says, Susan's life had been twisted horribly, and that was my fault. I wanted to help her before I went down swinging. Some little voice in the back of my head told me that I was being awfully noble for someone who had flinched when push had come to shove. The little voice told me that I was making excuses. Some part of me that doesn't trust much and believes and even less whispered that I had simply been afraid to say no to a being who could probably make me long for death if I denied her. So he's kind of going back and forth in this balance. And he realizes then that uh, there's not much time to spare and he's got to get to the council meeting. And then he also realizes, God damn it, he forgot to ask about money. He swore at himself and pulled the door shut behind me. You'd think as long as I was gambling with my soul, I would have had thought to get Mab to throw in 50 bucks an hour plus expenses. (laughs) Which I still say is not nearly enough. Not at all. Uh, But so he gets in his car and heads down to uh, the location of the meeting and is stuck in traffic. And running late, I I dropped by my apartment and waded through the wreckage looking for my gear for the meeting. I couldn't find everything and didn't have time to shower. The refrigerator was empty, and all I could find to eat was a half-wrapped candy bar I'd started and never finished. I stuffed it into my pocket, then headed to the meeting for the White Council of Wizardry. So he's at this big convention center places, and he parks in the parking garage. And he's shrugging into his robe when a black 37 Ford pickup comes around. And we meet Ebenezer. Ebenezer calls him Haas, which I think is hilarious. Uh, for those non-Americans, Haas is kind of like a cowboy kind of term. Uh, and Ebenezer is an older gentleman. And he's very country. And he says, the last time, uh, sorry, uh, what are you doing out of Missouri, sir? I didn't think you came to council meetings. He let out a barking laugh. The last time I didn't, they saddled me with this useless teen apprentice. Now I don't hardly dare miss one. They might make him move in again. I wasn't that bad, was I? You burned down my barn, Hoss, and I never did see that cat again. He just lit out and didn't come back after what you did with the laundry. I grinned. Way back when, I'd been a stupid 16-year-old orphan who had killed his former teacher in what amounted to a magic duel. I'd gotten lucky, or it would have been me that had just burned to a briquette instead of old Justin. The council has seven laws of magic, and the first one is thou shalt not kill. When you break it, they execute you. When you break it, they execute you. No questions asked. But some of the other wizards had thought I deserved lenience, and there was a precedent for using lethal magic in self-defense against the black arts. I'd been put on kind of a horrible probation instead, with any further infraction against the laws punishable by immediate summary judgment. But I'd also been a 16 and legally a minor, which meant I had to go someplace. So this is what we learned this in Stormfront. But we didn't really hear much about him going to see, live with Ebenezer. Ebenezer McCoy had lived in Hog Hollow, Missouri for as long as anyone could remember. A couple of centuries, at least. After my trial, the council packed me off to his farm and put him in charge of the remainder of my education. I didn't learn much magic from him, 
But I'd gotten some more important stuff. I'd learned more about patience, about creating something, making something worthwhile out of my labor, and I'd found as much peace as a teenager could expect. It had been a good place for me, and then he'd give me the kind of respect and distance I'd needed. I would always be grateful. I kind of like Ebenezer. Yeah, this is a great little, uh, I don't want to say retcon necessarily, but it is certainly, I mean, it is a retcon, right? Like, it, there's, none of this was ever mentioned before. It was more no. just Justin and then time gap. Yeah. Uh, wiz- wizard, invest- wizard PI, right? Yeah. Um, so this is just kind of filling in the blanks there, which obviously something happened because he was a child when it happened and he's not a child anymore. So I, I really do like this mm-hmm. and it fits and it's a great, I do like the, you know, last time I didn't come to one, they saddled me with an apprentice. I love that. But I uh, yeah, totally yeah, love that. Yeah, no, this is a great introduction to Ebenezer and, uh, you know, really, really cool kind of bounce back, basically exactly what Harry needed from, you know, of all the trials and tribulations with Justin and Elaine to come back to just working on a farm and fresh air and not not even a whole lot of magic really yeah. you know, just a, a good i, I like i just like the way it worked out yeah me too i really like how they described it uh okay so they talk about being there for the meeting and we learn harry is wearing his bathrobe ebenezer gave me a wry look he dragged a suit carrier out of the back and pulled out a, ro- a robe of opulent black fabric folding it over one arm somehow i don't think a plaid flannel bathrobe is what they had in mind i tied the belt of my old bathrobe and tried to make the stole look like it should go with it. My cat used my good robe as a litter box. It's, uh, like I said, it's been a long day, sir. <laughs> Come on, mister. My Ebenezer is looking around and he says, we're late. Shouldn't we get to the meeting? In a minute, some people want to talk before we close the circle. Senior council. Why do they want to talk to us? Not us, you. Because I asked them to, boy. People are scared. If the senior council comes... Sorry. If the senior council allows things to come to an open vote of the entire council, it could go badly for you. So I wanted some of them to get a chance to meet you for themselves before they could start making choices that could hurt you. Sorry, that could get you hurt. And Harry gets pissed. Harry doesn't want to play politics. I love that. I do too. Um, it would be wrong for me to lose my temper no matter how tired or hurt I was. Besides, the old man could probably kick my ass. So I managed to tone my I managed to tone my answer down to what the hell do you think you're doing, sir? I'm not your apprentice anymore. I can look out for myself. He didn't miss the anger. Guess I'm not much of a poker player. He looked up at me, said, I'm trying to help you, boy. I've got all the help I can stand already. I told him <laughs> I've got vampires breathing down my neck. Told Toads falling from the sky. I'm about to get evicted from everywhere. I'm late to the council meeting. I am not going to stand out here and suck up to members of the senior council to lobby their vote. He's, you know, saying you're going to get in trouble with the senior council. He's like, it can't be much more than I'm already in. The hell it can't. They could make a sacrificial lamb of you. They will or they won't. Either way, I'm not going to start brown nosing the council now, senior or otherwise. Harry, I'm not saying you need to get on your knees and beg, but if you would just... I rolled my eyes. What? Offer a couple of favors? Sell my vote to one of the blocks? Fuck that. Pardon my French. I've got enough problems without... I broke off abruptly, narrowing my eyes. You're the last one I would expect to be telling me to get involved with council politics. 
The last time I checked, you told me the whole swill spout and pack of lollygagging skunk wallas could transform one another into clans for all you cared. I did not say that. Did so. Boy, I ought to. And then Ebenezer walks away. And he thinks he's just kind of talking to himself, grumbling, mumbling. Then he laughs. Why are you laughing at me? And he turns to an open parking space across a row and says, There, are you satisfied? I never felt a whisper of power, not a breath of magic stirring against me. Whatever veil had been used, it was beyond anything I could have even attempted. I'm not exactly a neurosurgeon when it comes to magic. I've had my moments, but mostly I muddle through by shoving a lot of energy into my spells until it doesn't matter if half of it is slopping out. Magically speaking, I'm a brawny thug and noisy as hell. That's how powerful these people are. He didn't even notice. The first was... I love the idea of true power isn't big and explosive and showy. Real power is doing it doing it nice and clean and smooth. A neurosurgeon, which you can't be more exact than a neurosurgeon. Slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Doing everything, using all, Mm. doing everything properly and cleanly. Harry spills out all over the place and he's a mess and can't focus, but, you know, uh, listens to the wind, just abracadabras, which is kind of cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, Okay, so we get a description of the first of the senior council people. The first was a woman, better than six feet tall. She wore her gray hair coiled in a net at the base of her neck. She had already put on her robes of office, black silk near the same color as her skin, and her purple stole echoed the gems at her throat. Her eyebrows were still dark, and she had one of them arched as she regarded Ebenezer, then me, with completely unamused expression. When she spoke, her voice was a low, rich alto. Lollygagging skunk wallows? Maddie, Ebenezer began, laughter still flavoring his words. You know how, you know how I get when I'm talking council politics? I just love that. <laughs> uh, but she says, Wizard Dresden, I am less than amused with your lack of respect toward the White Council. That's a coincidence. I'm not terribly amused with you spying on me. I love how he just doesn't give a fuck. And so this is Martha Liberty. She's kind of great, though. She shot him a look and said pointedly, He's arrogant, Ebenezer. Dangerous. I snorted. That's every wizard ever. Martha continued as if I hadn't spoken. Bitter, angry, obsessive. Seems to me he has some good reason to be. You and the rest of the senior council saw to that. You know what he was meant to be. He's too great of a risk. What was he meant to be? Is that something we find out later? Uh, that's a very intriguing line. That's for sure. Because she talks about what he's supposed to be and what he, and, and like, we don't get anything by it. It kind no. of bothers me. There's, there's nothing else there. And the fact that he doesn't say anything is certainly like, <laughs> what the fuck's he supposed to mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, you know, he, I do love Ebenezer calling him Haas and, and Martha is such a, very blatant contrast to him. And uh, we learn that he's never met her, but he knew, his, he knew his mother. She said, you have your mother's eyes. Old pain rolled through me. I barely managed more than a whisper in response. I never knew her. No, you didn't. She lifted one wise, 
She lifted one wide, heavy hand and passed it through the air on either side of my head, as though smoothing my hair without touching me. Then she raked her eyes over me, staring intently at my bandaged hand. You hurt. You're in great pain. It isn't bad. It should heal in a few days. I'm not talking about your hand, boy. And then she says, very well, Ebenezer. I will support you. So we got one. She stepped back to the side of the person who was there. And I just, this interaction cracks me up. I'd almost forgotten him. And looking at him now, I began to see why. He contained a quality of stillness I could all but feel around him. Easy to sense, but difficult to define. His features, his bearing, everything about him blended into his background, swallowed by that stillness, patient and quiet as a stone beneath moon and sun. He was of innocuous height, 5'8", maybe 5'9". His dark hair was plaited in a long braid. Despite age, that seemed his features like bronzed leather under a scarlet sun, warm and worn. His eyes beneath silver brows were dark, inscrutable, intense. Eagle feathers adorned his braid, a necklace of bits of bone circled his throat, and he had a beaded bracelet wrapped around one forearm, which poked out from beneath his black robe. One weathered hand gripped a simple uncarved staff. So we learned this is Listens to the Wind, a genuine Illinois medicine man. Ebenezer says, I just call him Injun Joe. How? I began, which made me giggle. Um, a critter runs and attacks him. Something furry. I tripped over my own staff and fell down. I scrambled on my back to put my legs between my face and whatever snarling thing might be coming at me. And it's a raccoon. The raccoon gave me what I, the, uh, the raccoon gave me what I swore was an irritated look, eyes glittering within the dark mask of fur around them, then ran over to Injun Joe's feet and neatly scaled the old man's wooden staff. It swarmed up Injun Joe's arm to perch on his shoulder, still chirping and squeaking. Um, I managed. How do you do? <laughs> the, the raccoon chirped again, and, it, and Injun Joe tilted his head to one side, then nodded. Good, but little brother's irritated with you. He thinks anyone without much food should share it. I frowned, and I remember the half-eaten stale candy bar in my pocket. Oh, right. I pulled it out, broke it in half, and held it out to the raccoon. Peace? Little brother let out a pleased squeak and darted back down Injun Joe's arm and staff to my hand. He snatched the candy, then retired a few feet away to eat it. When I looked up, Injun Joe stood over me, offering his hand. Little brother thanks you. He likes you. How do you do, Wizard Dresden? I love that. I love little little brother. Um, he is very close in my heart now, to, as is Mister. Uh, I think he's delightful. I love a good uh, trash panda. <laughs> <laughs> These are all very important things. Okay, so then we learn that uh, they had another uh, member of the council, senior member of the council, who was one of their allies. He was a Russian named Simon. And he died. The warden said that they couldn't be sure, but it looked like someone let the killers pass in, in past the defenses. The warden said that they couldn't be sure, but it looked like someone let the killers in past the defenses. They didn't get away unscathed. There were the remains of half a dozen nobles of the Red Court, many of their warriors, but they killed Simon and the rest. Let them in, Ebenezer breathed. Treachery? But even if it was true, it would have to be someone who knew his defenses inside and out. 
Martha glanced at me, then back at Ebenezer. Then something passed between them in a look, but I couldn't tell what it was. No, Ebenezer said, that's insane. Master to student, you know what the wardens will say. It's buffalo chips. It would never got past a senior council. And so then we learn that there's, they only have two, two votes now that Simon's gone. And Ebenezer's damnation, he muttered. Guts of damnation. What does this mean? It means, Wizard Dresden, that the Merlin and others on the council are preparing to bring allegations against you of precipitating the war with the Red Court and placing the responsibility for a number of deaths on your head. And because Joseph and I no longer have the support of Simon on the senior council, it means we cannot block the Merlin from laying it to the general vote. Many of the council are frightened, Haas Dresden. Your enemies will use this opportunity to strike through you. Fear will drive them to vote against you. I love that Angel Joe calls him Haas Dresden. <laughs> I just think it's delightful. But the chapter ends with hell's bells. I'm in trouble. That's a good chapter. We got a, new, a lot of new people. It's pretty interesting. Did you go away? No, I'm here. Okay. I, yeah, I, I, I really like Listens to Win. He's great. Um, Martha, I really get a good feel with her. Um, but it's definitely a great introduction to those characters for sure. I love the, uh, you know, I mentioned the power uh, situation. And then this kind of mystery that we find out about with who who let the bad guys in is just certainly something to uh keep an eye on yeah i mean it's um also you didn't i'm surprised you didn't mention it that him using sir yeah i He's, noticed it yeah um definitely an honorific that we've never seen harry use before and um Again, kind of goes, leans into that upbringing and how important that was and how much mm -hmm. respect he has for this man. Because he doesn't really respect anybody. <laughs> they, not like that. Exactly. Like deference. Yes. Deference? Deference. Deference. Yeah, but no, he does. He is very much that. So there's more council politics about who will take over for Simon on the senior council. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, just, they go back and forth talking about what the Merlin with the capital M wants. Hey, he says, you want one of the Germans. There's already too, too many Americans on the, on the senior council for the Merlin's taste. Martha says, and, uh, I love this. <laughs> listen to when says typical only real American on the senior council is me. Not like the rest of you, Johnny come lately, <laughs> which is fun. And, uh, basically it, they're just trying to figure out who they can maneuver into securing that third vote that they're going to need. So they all go inside. Ebenezer asks him about how his Latin's coming, asks if he mm -hmm. needs him to translate. <laughs> Harry took a correspondence course and has a little bit of Latin. He says, I think I can manage. And Ebenezer tells him to hang on to his temper. Uh, you have a, you got a reputation as a hothead for some reason, which I like. <laughs> I do not. And for being stubborn and contrary. I am not. Just a fun exchange from mm -hmm. kind of a father figure, um, which is great. And then, you know, Harry wants to go in separately so that he's not dragging, you know, again, being Harry, not dragging Ebenezer down um, with him 
it, just in case it goes bad, badly. He says it goes bad, but badly is how you talk good English words. Hmm. So he heads in, and at the door, there's security, and it's our old buddy Morgan being about as much of a dick as possible. He makes Harry unwrap his hand and uh, show that he doesn't have any magical bombs or what's-its or gizmos, which is just, just or gadgets of plenty. Gadgets of plenty, yes. Gizmos or gadgets of plenty? I mean, you know. I am ginger. Sorry, I just had to. That's good. Any, squeeze every ginger possible into this pod. <laughs> and so they end up with really cool I, kind of visual of these dog statue things that come out and they're called ward hounds. Mm-hmm. And they go through and they you know, basically are just checking to make sure that they're not inspelled or have secret weapons or anything like that. Okay. But just kind of cool would be a cool thing to see in live action. Yeah. One of the one of the dogs is growling at his hand where because Mab had done her little cold magic on it. So he's got traces of Mab's magic. So that's what the dog is growling at. And so they make him unwrap his hand, you know, that's why he makes him take it off, but he's just being a dick. And um so yeah, so now his hand is throbbing and he doesn't have the bandage on it properly. It's just wonderful. Thanks, Morgan, you piece of a shit. A lot of fun. <laughs> You're such a dick. Yes. <sighs> so they go inside uh, and they close the circle. I like that. Again, just kind of show don't tell where Morgan watches him go in and just says, close the circle to his partner. And they get inside and they shut the door. Very cool idea. You see the wardens doing their thing. They close the circle. They cut everyone outside of the circle off supernaturally. And now they have their meeting ready to rock. So there's people from all over the world. Most, you know, most of the wizards are in clean black robes the, with different stoles that usually mean different things. The brown-robed kids are the apprentices hanging out. Um, we learn here that apparently Harry's one of the younger full wizards of the white council in the world. And there's people from all over the world here, which is cool that we get a little slice of that. Um, you know, people from all over the place coming through. Um, (laughs) the only thing all the wizards had in common was that none of them looked as scruffy as me, which I like. There's a roped off section, which is kind of cool. Various, uh, allies and other supernatural, people kind of a vip box which is interesting we don't really get a good description of who's over there but it's just interesting that they have that yeah i thought that was kind of cool yeah a little weird yeah i mean it makes sense because we have we're at war and they're you know they're trying to obviously they would we're at war and obviously they would ally themselves with anyone they can and try to get as much Mm -hmm. help as possible true but we don't know what that looks like or anything like that and who they are, really. Exactly. Yeah. So Martha and Listens to Wind are up on the stage as two of the members of the senior council, two of the current six. And at the center of the podium stood the Merlin of the White Council. So we learn here that the Merlin is presumably the leader, the title. And they do some 
conversation in Latin that I'm not going to read. But, um, but he, he does um, translate it. Yeah, Harry translates it for us as well. Getting into the war with the Red Court, looking to fill that extra spot on the senior council. The Merlin spoke, and, I, and though I knew he spoke perfectly intelligible English, he addressed me in Latin. I like this, that Merlin is too good at Latin so that Harry can understand him better. Uh, he gives him shit about, you know, not respecting the council enough and all yeah. that bullshit, uh, which is probably fair, but he's uh, just being a jerk, basically. Again, a bully. He's a guy in power. Kind he of does being... seem like a bit of a bully. Exactly. Make me, I'm making sure that everyone sees that he's wearing a battered old bathrobe. Yes. He tries to respond to the Merlin saying, it's been a very long day. I meant to have my other robe. But what he said was, I am a sorry excuse, Merlin. A sad long day held me. I need me a different laundress. <laughs> <laughs> he tries to fix it and says, excuses to you for my being dressed and I also make lately. So his correspondence course was not good enough. He does not know Latin, so he's going to have Ebenezer translate the rest of the way, which is useful, certainly. Uh, so he gives a little apology and they start moving on. So they mention that they need to fill the spot in the senior council after doing a little, a little light, hairy bullying. And we move on. We mm -hmm. move on to business. So we learn that the white council is. Uh, what's the opposite of ageist? It's not merit-based. It's based just strictly on age. So the older you are, the, that's how you get onto the senior council, basically. You've been around long enough and survived. Seniority. Seniority. There you go. Words are hard. It's based entirely on seniority. Who's on the white, the senior council. So they go down the list, basically, and they're calling out... Well, initially, the Merlin wants to strong-arm somebody onto the senior council. One of those Germans. He just wants to grab them and throw them up there right away but his allies have fight back and say that we need to do the whole deal basically so yeah the, the merlin is just trying to get his his yes man on the council and martha liberty and listens to wind are both saying absolutely not we're going to do this properly which means you're not going to as ebenezer says clearly in english you had intended to shove your favorite down everyone's throat while they were too worried to notice Bro. And again, still in English, the Merlin says, go back to your mountain, Ebenezer. Back to your sheep. You are not welcome here and never have been. It's a great exchange there. And mm -hmm. he gets Scott's uh, accent, starts creeping in. I, Alfred Laddie, I know. Uh, just the idea of these two guys who are clearly, we, we know what Harry's capable of. And these guys are obviously a lot stronger, a lot stronger, just given this like it's not necessarily a standoff but certainly you know it's just a very interesting and exciting moment there uh, knowing it could boil over cool i mean it's just it's a good moment between the two of them and it like this haas is like this i'm not haas sorry ebenezer is very much a kind of like he's a nice old countryman who lives in the holler but he's actually got a pretty significant uh, influence here it seems 
Yeah, and you can also see a lot of Harry in him. Mm-hmm. Kind of this, you know, not lack of respect for power for power's sake. Mm-hmm. You know, like you don't get just because you're the Merlin doesn't mean you get to be a dick to everybody kind of thing. And you can see that I'm sure that was certainly informs a lot of Harry's behavior here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so they go through a list a lot of, of all the wizards who are capable, you know, in line to hop on the senior council here. And there's some funny, you know, research trip. He's still sleeping off that potion, um, living under the polar ice cap, pyramid sitting, um, which is good. Ebenezer gets called up there. He, so they, basically what they do is they go down the list of people who are eligible and they stand up. And then one of the Germans actually says that he respectfully declines the nomination in favor of Wizard McCoy. So like you said, I mean, clearly, clearly Ebenezer has some cachet here mm-hmm. and is very well respected because that was one of the guys that the Merlin wanted to put on there, I think. And, and he's stepping aside. So yeah, um, really cool. And they, they vote him up there and he climbs up on the stage and immediately starts causing problems as any good Dresden mentor would. But so earlier in the chapter, he had mentioned that the Merlin's going to have three plans, three plots to try to best Harry here. And so he says that was one down two to go. Stay sharp. And he hops up on the stage and he says, less talking, more doing. There's a war on. <laughs> Already just I love it. Grinding, the, grinding people's gears here. And they go through and they talk about the war. I thought there's a good moment where Morgan does a Return of the Jedi style 3D map of the, and the, all, all the yes. wizards are impressed by it. Like, ooh. <laughs> and Harry decides not to translate Star Wars into Latin, which is a good, the first good decision he's made all day. I mean, let's let's be honest. <laughs> it's still, it would still be pretty rad. I actually would love to watch a Latin Star Wars now. Uh, so a lot of the, uh, the they, you know the battles have been the, mostly in Western Europe, which we actually saw in Grave Peril, where they said Berlin and Paris were the first major issues. Mm-hmm. But basically, right now the w- w- the White Count, basically right now the White Council is in trouble. Because they can't use the ways safely. And because they can't use the ways safely, because summer and winter are not wanting to get involved in this war, and most of the mm-hmm. ways go through ferry, the ways being when you go through the Never Never and travel, take a shortcut, basically, like we saw in Grave Peril, for them to get to Bianca's. So you can basically travel around the world if you know the way so you can hop over to the never never pop out in seattle make a new hop back into the never never hop out in paris hop back into the never basically if that makes that make sense so those are mm-hmm. the ways and so right now they can't use those and since they can't use the ways they basically can't travel because wizards will destroy planes and like there's no way that you can safely fly anywhere with wizards so they're kind of up a creek right now and so they're reaching out to as we know on site there's some potential allies but they're also reaching out to both of the fairy courts so they reached out to titania who's the winter who's excuse me who's the summer queen and Mm -hmm. she said she will not now nor ever choose sides in the disputes of mortal and anthrophage which is a good word anthrophage (laughs) reminds me of lupine theriomorphs yeah i i really love just there's so many like 
amazing the the vocabulary is just spectacular oh yeah just those little little world building things there that again show don't mm-hmm. tell you don't need to tell us what an anthropophage is like we can figure it out because there are the other ones and the mortals yeah. uh, which i like and the courier did not return from from winter so and we know we can we may conf- this is what uh, one ancient mai is one of the other members of the senior council and she said, we may confidently assume that Queen Mab will involve herself, if at all, in a time and manner of her choosing. <laughs> Ruh-roh. And Harry starts twitching and trying to pour a glass of water. Heaven's like, what, what's that supposed to mean? You know, it means we'll have to keep up our diplomacy. And the Merlin uses a phrase that says he, the conflict can be resolved. And Martha Liberty takes... So what does she take with it? Front. <laughs> she takes it in front with she it. Does. She doesn't yeah, like that's it. not the word I was looking for, but we'll use that one. Martha Liberty takes is you know offense a little bit of a, a offense and affront here to that phrasing. She wants it to be finished, not necessarily resolved. And you know the Merlin mm-hmm. says there's no reason for this to dis- dissolve into an even more destructive conflict if we can get an armistice. She says, ask Simon Petrovich how interested the vampires are in reaching a peaceable settlement. And I like that. Oh, yeah. It's like her her boy isn't even cold yet, you dick. Yeah, exactly. But I do like how she's very... um, She's got that... It's... She's very imposing, but she also has that... um, She's got a good... It seems like she's got a good soul. You know, she's got that backbone. She's got that strength. Yeah. I like Martha Liberty. Like I said, I, I, we don't, I don't know a ton about her even now, but I, I, like, I like her. She's, yeah, just a strong, calm presence. Mm-hmm. He says, Simon knew them. He knew them better than any of us, and they killed him. Do you really think that they'll be inclined to seek a reasonable peace with us when they have already destroyed the wizard best able to protect himself against them? Why should they seek a peace, Merlin? They're winning. Mm. Merlin says, you know, Merlin's stuff. And she says, don't be a fool. They'll never sue for peace. And the Merlin says, in point of fact, they already have. Here we meet the next member of the senior council. Wizard Lafortier. He's, in, uh, I like the description of him because it doesn't really sound human. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can hate non-human characters real easily. He's got... High cheekbones. He's got a sunken face, bulging eyes that are a couple sizes too big. He just has a gross, a grotesque skeletal look to him. But he has a, a resonant basso, deep, warm, and smooth. Thank you, Merlin. I have here a missive from Duke Ortega, war leader of the Red Court, received this morning. In it, he details the Red Court's motivations in this matter and the terms they desire for peace. He also offers, by token of goodwill, a temporary cessation of hostilities in order to give the council time to consider. Effective this morning. This morning was when Harry was attempted. There was an assassination attempt. So he says, bullshit. Mm -hmm. I love that he shouts that out, too. Oh, yeah. We are all Harry Dresden on this fine day, but I would definitely be doing the same thing. (laughs) Absolutely not. Well, it is. I was attacked by a Red Court hit squad only a few hours ago. 
So he's speaking in English and Ebenezer's translating. And you know, Lefortier says, you know, even if either even if you're not lying, which fuck you, you would hardly expect perfect control given your role in precipitating this war. Like, precipitating? Do you have any idea what they did? And here you get kind of the other side of the coin. You know, we've seen wizards who go out of their way to protect people, and Lefortier mm-hmm. clearly isn't he doesn't give a exactly. Shit. And he's obviously not the only one who feels this way. They defended an assault upon their sovereignty wizard. You acting in the role of representative of this council, attacked a noble of their court, damaged her property, and killed members of said noble's household, and her as well. So, he said, does that sound familiar to you, Wizard Dresden? And he wants, now he wants to fight, because this guy is absolutely saying what happened. That is all exactly what happened. But it's also not what happened. You know, they were killing children, they were taking his, his girlfriend, Yeah against her will, and he was fighting to get them out. And that is who he is, and that's not who Lefortier wants the council to be, obviously. But so he wants to fight, basically, again, because this guy is just not disregarding human lives. Yeah. That's very true. And here he says he's a lot of things, but he's not a willing murderer. That willing is a very... <laughs> doing a lot of work there. Yeah. Calms down a little bit. And he says, I've already detailed my recollection of the events in the report to the council. I stand by them. Anyone who tells you differently than what you read there is lying. How comfortable it must be to live in such a clear-cut world, Wizard Dresden. But we are not counting the cost of your actions in coins or hours wasted. We are counting it in blood. And here's the thing. He says, wizards are dying because of what you did while acting in this council's name. And this is like very much a might is right wizards are more important than non-wizard humans kind of thing here which quite frankly is bullshit and he says frankly i think it might be wise for the council to consider that we may indeed stand in the wrong in this matter and that it might be prudent to give careful considerations to the red court's terms for peace no yikes no no bueno lafortier wants to do his best chamberlain impression and appease the vampires peace in our time and he, Harry yeah. says, what do they want? A pint of blood a month from each of us? Rights to hunt freely? Amulets to shield them from the light of the sun? And Lefortier smiles and says, nothing so dramatic, Dresden. But as he says, Dresden, not wizard Dresden. Mm-hmm. They simply want what any of us would want in this situation. They want justice. They want you. I know you like him. Fuck Lefortier. I know, yeah, I can. <laughs> yeah, not idea. But again, it's more the attitude of, like, Harry was doing this to save people. And now you're mad at yeah. him because it's killing people. Like, what? Yes. what? Excuse me. Why are wizards more important? Yeah. I, was, I just didn't. I don't like him. Yeah, not ideal. So, Wait. let's uh, hop in and do some analysis. Right, so good little kind of cliffhangery spot to stop on there. Um, you know, getting us going here. Certainly, a lot of action. Not a, and a lot of stuff happened here. It's really last time our first chunk of the book was all Agatha Hagglethorn is one kind of contained arc. This is we have the Toads, we have Mab, we have the Council meeting. Um, 
kind of all over the place here. So it's definitely a lot to kind of chew through here. What'd you think first off? What, what were your thoughts on it? Like as far as just straight vibes? I enjoyed it. I mean, there's a lot that can happen. And now I'm thinking that Michael is not going to be the night they're talking about. But hey, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I have a new favorite animal. Sorry, mister. But uh, yeah, little brother is pretty sweet. I love the idea of a raccoon eating oh my God. chocolate. You gotta, you gotta love a good um, uh, trash panda. You just do. <laughs> So it's the thumbs. It's the thumbs that does it. Yeah. And it's, well, they're also a gaucho mascot, <laughs> an unofficial gaucho mascot. Oh, are so, they? Okay. Oh, yeah. Have, have you been to Ivy? <laughs> We're all trash pandas in Ivy. <laughs> Fair but I, I, I thought he was delightful. But I also love, so Harry doesn't know if he's eaten in a few days. The only food he has is that, ha- that half of it's still candy bar. And he still gives it to, to, Little brother. Yeah, it sounds like little brother's being an asshole here. But he, like, little brother just, doesn't know. I'm but it was, kidding. I just thought, again, it says a lot about Harry, though, too. Yeah, no, again, it's just who he, that's who he is. And so mm-hmm. I think that's why I, I get so mad at the Merlin and LaFortier here, just because. Oh, well, they're also assholes. Yeah. And again, I mean, it is. I, I've looked at it. It is, he is an unreliable narrator. Yeah. But even as apparently how we, we were kind of, I was wrong on the description there. I thought he was reliable because he was intention. His intentions were to be reliable, but because he sees it, just you get his perspective. Um, I, I do wonder how different some of these interactions would be from a third person. Yeah. Like that's the, a very like good the, question. The other wizard at his table, right? Harry is yelling in a language that not everyone there understands. Um, he's yelling out of turn. Like what's, what the fuck's going on? This is the guy that started the, started the war and he's certainly here looks like shit. Like what's happening here. Yeah. I just, I do wonder sometimes I think Harry brings some of these things on himself. Maybe a bit. We still Uh, like him. Of course. Of course. Um, uh, really cool, uh, you know, introduction for the uh, the ghoul there. Again, she she wasn't really the major player in that scene, but it was just cool to have it's adding to our, lore exactly and the, the fact that the ghouls are working with the vampires yeah whatever that's worth is interesting but in a war everybody seems to take sides except for titania <laughs> oh yes but it, that was just an interesting moment there you know but we like that we can appreciate it but i do like how we're kind of introduced to this structure of the, of the council we learn how their politics are getting involved how their politics are rent through Kind of the, sorry, how they went through the material of the, um, the existence, their existence. In, Wait, what do you, in, what do you... in how the council is involved in so many aspects, uh, where like, you know, we have them communicating with the different courts, they're communicating with the different fae, communicating with everybody where it's, it's just like a, a typical political body and they're just, they're involved, they have they have fingers in all the pies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, you know, I, I like how we learn about that a little bit. Yeah, no, definitely. I, and I like uh, our introduction to each of the different members of the senior council mm-hmm. was cool, or almost all of the senior council. We're still one shy, I believe, if memory serves. Um, but that was cool. The, uh, whole, the whole scene with Mab almost gets lost in the shuffle here just because there was some excitement on both ends of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was really cool to learn about 
the way that they can kind of transfer the debts and things like that. Um, and I just liked, I like Mab as a character. Like she, she's just, or she hurts his hurt. She pokes him just to poke him. It was funny. I thought, um, just out of spite. Mm-hmm. And I do like the frog and the scorp or the scorpion and the uh, fox. Fox, yes. Just a lot of really, a lot of really great storytelling. Yeah, and again, it, it jumps around a little bit. It's certainly not like smooth. I was, I was a little bit worried about. Is it, does she say fox? I thought so. Yeah, I thought so too. But it is a scorpion and the frog. Is the oh, story? Sorry. No, I'm actually curious because I don't. I thought I was saying fox during the thing also. Oh well. No, she does say fox. Interesting. Yeah, I can't remember what other show or something. It was like a show or another novel or something where this, that story, that fable came up. Um, allegory? Whatever. Fable. It's a fable. Um, either way. Yeah, it was good stuff. And, you know, we, we caught up on the stuff from last book with uh, Susan is still MIA. She's alive and still sending in her articles. Um, so we didn't get any movement on that front as far as their mm-hmm. relationship. Um. I liked Billy. It's always good to see the alphas back around. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Any other thoughts on lore or questions or? No, I like, we've got a lot of new lore in these five, or lot, not, maybe not lore, but world building in these chapters. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that. And some good writing. Absolutely. And I really, Star Wars reference from a, the writing part, I really liked the, uh, the repetition in those first couple Mm-hmm. The, there had to be something I could do. Had to be. There had to be. Um, especially because it's three times on that one, which is kind of magically significant. When you repeat but, it. And the other thing, too, is the, it, it, it tells us a lot about Harry's kind of mental state where it's just that repeating in your head. There had to be something I could do. There had to be. There had to be something. There had to be. You know, that whole idea of when you're really just trying to sort through shit in your head. And it, it gives us a good insight into that. Absolutely. Like what about, see if we got any yikes today. Yes. Yikes. All right. What do you got? Our introduction to Mab. Like, even as she's leaving, she's a horrible, horrible creature and he says she's got a nice ass but the whole description of like when she walks in it's just like oh bro yeah no he's a little bit more of the you know the way we kind of fallen back into that old school stormfront kind of uh yeah i'm waiting for her to take a deep breath so i can see her rack you know her skin her skirt is cut just so that you really want to see more i'm just like come on bro yeah i i didn't like the how joke as much as you did uh <laughs> with, no with, I, it, it was such an uh when it happened it, it took me a second well, I mean, it, like, it's 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 amusing it's funny it's yeah, just it, and it wasn't it wasn't as funny as him him calling him Haas Dresden Haas Dresden I didn't like that Haas is Haas is a is a short shortened version of horse it's how oh. the etymology of Haas I did way. not know that I love that this is I love usually it. usually use it like for big strong men that's a, a cowboy term yeah it's a it's a compliment complimentary term for sure yeah i, I really just loved that though we're at Haas dresden <laughs> it is i just good. thought it was delightful there's a lot that was just like i i still love all of the 
the way he writes the interactions where even in a bad state, Harry's being snarky. It's great. I really appreciate that. Oh, yeah. Good stuff. Obviously, Injun Joe, but they lampshade that. I mean, that's just what Ebenezer calls him because Ebenezer is an old man from Missouri. Uh, <laughs> but Listens to Wind is his, is his name, and that's what mm-hmm. usually he'll be called for sure. If he doesn't mind, who am I to say that he can't be called what he wants to be called? I'm going to call him Listens to Wind personally <laughs> as we get through it. Yes. Um. Yeah, I mean, anything else there? I mean, again, it's not terrible. I'm kind of like... It's not as atrocious as it could be for sure. It's no, not, not at perfect. all. Not at all. Awesome. But. All right. Well, in that case, what, uh, what do you got for quotes? A few. <laughs> I know you're shocked. I am. When I, and it's, it was just something that entertained me. The, and it was kind of a moment with him and Mab. He says, please sit down. Would you like a cup of coffee or anything? Sounds less than sanitary. Why should I take the risk? <laughs> I thought that was fantastic. I have several. Let them rip. The Fae have a way of making sure that further bargains only get you in deeper instead of into the clear. Just like credit card companies or those evil or those student loan people. Now there's evil for you. <laughs> I just kind of like that juxtaposition to the real world. Debt that you take on as a 17 year old that can't be cleared through bankruptcy. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty fucked up. Oh, yeah. Um, and then when it's Harry talking about running late and having to go to the Council of Wizardry, he says, where I was sure to cut a devastating swath with my couth, hygiene, and natural grace. <laughs> that one made me giggle. And when Joe says, the redneck hillbilly doesn't read. Otherwise, he'd know that he can't call me that anymore. Now, I'm Native American Joe. <laughs> I love that Joe has a, has a sense of humor about it. I really enjoy him quite a bit. So like if you've seen the things he's seen and you don't have a sense of humor, you're going to you're going to have a bad time. Exactly. Nice. My first one here is from the first chapter where Billy's talking about patrolling. They've been doing some patrolling around the college, which I like mostly because it made me think of Buffy. Uh-huh. Yeah. The, ter- the term they use. Totally have the same mental like mental picture. Absolutely. But uh Dresden says patrolling. Holy vigilantes, Batman, which is just good. Yeah. Uh, when Morgan's being a dick, he says, I see someone had a nice big bowl of Fanaticos this morning. Which is awesome. I like that a lot, too. And my quote of the week is, he blurred as he moved. And between one breath and the next, Billy the Naked was gone and Billy the Wolf slammed into the assailant. That made me giggle as I was walking. So yeah, Billy the Naked. Fully appreciate there's a call. There's a callback to that later in the chapter as well when he's getting, comes back to being mm-hmm. Billy Naked. Billy, he's just funny. Yeah. I, it's just entertaining. It's quirky. It's funny. I just, I really do appreciate the humor. Yeah. So it's, it's a weird chunk. It really was. And I don't think there was really a better way to do it because either we'd have a really short one or a really long one mm-hmm. to get through the whole council meeting. So we're going to, put a pin in the council meeting and come back to that next week. Mm-hmm. Um, but what are you thinking for? Ulysses crack about the year of the week. That's a hard one. because they only, I got so distracted by little brother. Um, I, for, I <laughs> forgot to think about a crackpot theory. <laughs> yes, I know. Small critters. Yeah. I don't really have a crackpot theory this week, but I did, you know, my realization that the night isn't going to be Michael, which makes me sad, but maybe it's going to be like a night of the white council, something like that. And that's something that we haven't heard about yet, but I was right about right. it being summer. It takes place in the summer. <laughs> isn't it like April? 
Oh, he said it was summer because it's so hot. Mm. I could have sworn he said it was summer. <laughs> it's been nine months since Susan left. When, is, when was last? When was the last book? Also, um, I want you to know, um, did you read the uh, one of the forewords, the acknowledgments in the book? Uh-uh. This book is for big sisters everywhere who have had enough patience not to strangle their little brothers. Aww. <laughs> he said in particular for my own sisters who had much, who did more than most. I owe you both so much. But I thought that was funny. That's awesome. I thought it was pretty right. And it, he also says it's for his mom. But I love a good acknowledgement. Absolutely. Dear Mama. I'm in a, the acknowledgement of a book. Oh, yeah? Yeah. What book? Um, what is it called? Let's fuck with their metrics, too. <laughs> um, Lee Goldberg is his name. I'm in Movie Land. It's one of them. There's two of them. That one I can find is movie. It's it's a book called Movie Land by Lee Goldberg. Very exciting. That's all. that's cool. He's a series for a, a female detective, Eve Ronan, and uh, he is friends with my former supervisor, who's also was my mentor, the sheriff's department, Pam Sokolik. Her husband is a or ex husband rather is a mystery novelist, and they're friends. And he was asking her about. Forensic anthropology stuff, and she's like, I don't know. And she's like, Hey, can I send you, uh, <laughs> send him your email? And so for the past, probably, God, I, I helped him for a couple of years actually. Probably uh, when did I start talking to him, twenty one. So the last couple of years, I was helping him out with different stuff and random questions with books, different specific details. It was it was really it was really fun to see my name in a book. That is awesome. Yeah. So there's your random Melissa fact for the day. I'm in the acknowledgments of a book because I know random shit. About forensic anthropology and bones and dead shit. And and autopsy. <laughs> that was the other thing. He'd ask me autopsy questions. But it's cool, you know? Very cool. I am not in the thank yous for any books that I know of, but that you know of. I'm, I'm on the market. In the market, guys. So you let me know. All right. So next week we'll do chapters six through ten. Just another five chapter day. And you have the hard work. You're gonna have three of them. Woohoo. So so there. Beyond that, yeah, good stuff. This is my favorite novel, for sure. I know I've said that a couple times about some of the other ones, but there's definitely some good stuff in here, mm -hmm. but it does take a little while to get going. And we'll see how it progresses through. I don't remember all of it, obviously. But um, there's definitely some good time reveals coming up here and some really good story moments and some awesome character moments. And we learn a lot. So I'm very excited to get you through this. Um, Wanted to shout out, um, first off, our TikTok, Facebook, all those things. Um, the podcast is on fire uh, at pretty much everything. Mm -hmm. And the pod was on fire at, is our Twitter. I made a Mastodon, which is apparently a Twitter clone idea thing uh, this morning. So we have one of those as well. For that's the podcast was on fire and yeah hit us up on any of those uh getting, been getting some great emails i appreciate the uh insight and thoughts um we really do love yeah. it when you guys reach out to us it's super fun getting emails and stuff because uh it makes us feel really special <laughs> that's all we don't need you to tell we're amazing we just like people that people are listening straight up <laughs> absolutely <laughs> outstanding I'm a Gen Xer. I'm not used to it. <laughs> Did you go with me to that Bad Religion show? It was supposed to be against me, but then against me dropped out. I feel ten, like we ten, did. Ten years ago today, I was at a Bad Religion show, and I'm pretty sure it was with you. Possibly. 
getting Facebook updates here. <laughs> I bought tickets wanting to go see Against Me, and then Against Me dropped uh, out. Yes, door. I think that was me. Oh, so there you go. Ten years ago today. Oh, is that Jesus. possible? Time does fly. But um, yeah, guys, thank you so much. Uh, feel free to hit us up on any of those things. Tell us how awesome or terrible we are. Um, be kind. Just say oh, hi. <laughs> Works too. But um, yeah, appreciate you so much. Thank you. And especially wanted to give a uh, quick shout out to the Jim Butcher Appreciation Society, who still hasn't accepted my request to get into it. <laughs> but apparently they uh, plugged us to their whole membership. And I just want to say thank you to the mods of that group. We really appreciate it. Yes. Um, that was yeah, so no, cool to hear about. Like, absolutely just awesome. So, yeah, thank you guys so much. And again, just keep spreading the word. Keep letting us know what we can do better and or worse. Or what you like. Absolutely. So, um, awesome. Thank you guys so much. And we will see you next week with the next five chapters, chapter six through ten of Summer Night. I have been Josh. And I am Alyssa. Also, let's go, Kings. Woo! Go, <laughs> Kings, go! Besides Anze Kopitar, also, the podcast was on fire. And it wasn't my fault. Sentence? Okay. Sorry, I was leaning back a smidge. Our super, super high-end uh, studio equipment. Weird. Oh, yeah. Gave people a glimpse into my room. I'm glad Erin doesn't follow our TikTok because she would be oh, so I'm, mad that I showed people my room. I posted it on the Facebook page. And she oh, good. It. Don't worry. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs>